All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, as always, I just want to thank you all for tuning in to Disagree With Me or Don't. We are back for another episode. Uh, it's been a minute since we've been on with an episode, but that's because there's been a lot going on. I'm going to fill you in on everything that has been going on. A little bit, little bit of good news, bad news here. But uh, hey, good news is we're back. We're back up and running. We're going to be doing the show. We're going to be doing the uh, All Right Bet with Andy St. Clair as well. We're going to get that back up and running here. Uh, a bit of bad news has to do with the TV show. I'll fill you in with the parameters on what happened with that coming up. But, hey, man, sit back, relax, and let's get back at it. This is DWMOD. As always, I'm your host, Mikey Wilson. Stay with me now. Hey, the Pistons are scrappy, but it's quickly looking like we got all our balls in that lottery bag. Down! Hut! 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 Hey, it's 2023, and they still haven't put Sweet Lou Whitaker in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Knock it off. Ready? Aw, Lions fans drinking that Kool-Aid Super Bowl! Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. Hut! Hut! For everybody that was laughing at Dan Campbell, he has delivered everything that he has promised. And now the NFL world is bathing in the grit and drinking the Kool-Aid of the Detroit Lions. The man is the coach of the year. Everybody's up in arms about a college football playoff expansion. Make it 8, make it 10, make it 16, it doesn't matter. In five years, the two super conferences known as the SEC and the B1G will have their own individual playoffs, and those two teams will meet in the college Super Bowl. Bet on it. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. Ding, ding, ding. That's what usually plays right there, right? <laughs> hey, real quick, I want to apologize to everybody uh, if this sounds a little echoey. Uh, we are moving spaces right now to where we're recording, and uh, this doesn't seem to be completely soundproofed yet, but we're going to go ahead with the episode, guys. I'm just going to apologize to you about that right now, and hopefully we'll be getting this thing fixed within the next week or so in the new space. Anyway... Great to hear the old Tecmo intro going off right there, man. It just gets me to thinking immediately like everything in that intro that we said during the last season is absolutely true. And furthermore, uh, the Pistons did have all their balls in that lottery bag, but I guess having more balls in that bag than anybody else or the same amount as the second and third place team, because that's, I guess, how it should work. The NBA thinks no reward for being the worst team in the league. Not that it's a reward, but, you know, no leveling out the playing field there as the Pistons wind up with the fifth pick. I mean, if y'all watch the lottery, uh, Ben Wallace's face, man, when fifth pick, I mean, come on, man. And San Antonio gets the number one. I mean, it is hard. It is really, really hard at this point to think that that's not NBA agenda. Like, you know, they want to give this guy uh, Wingman Yama. They want to give him to pop. You know, they want Pop to groom this guy. They, they want to make sure they have a star on their hands. They don't want him to wind up in Charlotte or they didn't want him to wind up in Detroit, I guess. And, you know, who knows who the coach is and or they just signed him. And You know what I mean? It just it just reeks of this is a generational talent. Let's make sure we take care of it and do what's best for the league. Let's go San Antonio and give him the pop. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what happened, but come on, man. Stay with me now. But anyway, just want to take a moment here to bring you guys up to speed on what's going on with the Honest Network. I know that y'all been 
tuned in and and waiting and the show was supposed to launch in at the end of march and then it got pushed back to april and then it got pushed back to end of april and anyways uh just want to fill you guys in on what's going on with that bit of bad news is we are not moving forward with the tv show um we did shoot the pilot episode. Uh, it should have aired, and like I said, end of March, April 1st at the very latest. It should have aired after being re-recorded for a higher production. You know, the, the pilot was shot, low, you know, low production pilot. That's normal. It's the way it was shot. Uh, do have a copy of it. I am going to put it up so everybody can see it, so you can see exactly what we are working on, so that you can see what the show was supposed to be and how it was supposed to head out. Uh, things fell apart. Uh, as you know, I was named executive producer of sports entertainment at Honest Network. I uh, was in charge of running the whole sports division. I was in charge of recruiting people. I was in charge of testing, screen testing, audio testing people for the show. I was in charge of coaching up the podcast team of people who were selected. Um, and no disrespect to any of those people, a lot of a lot of good people there. I made some good friends and some, you know, some good up and comers, I think, that can probably develop into pretty good podcasters, possibly, uh, you know, but very raw. A lot of them, not a lot of experience. I was in charge of coaching them up and getting them prepared for, you know, doing some podcasting to get ready to be on camera. Um, there was some push for how quickly that could happen. But anyway, I'm, again, not going to get deep into a lot of the details there because there are some other, you know, parameters of things that may be coming around on this that I don't want to get into. But long story short, uh, the projection of where the sports network was supposed to go, there was a vision. There was very, very, very long hours, many, many, many meetings putting that vision together and where it was supposed to go. And the powers that be... Uh, again, not getting into names right now, but the powers that be when it came time to do so decided that they knew what they wanted to do with the other half of Honest Network and they wanted to go forward with some shopping channels with, you know, the cooking and the fashion and all the other things, but they just couldn't uh, figure out how they wanted to monetize the sports network. Um, I came up with a great plan. We were going to put that plan into effect. I'm not going to get into the details of that plan because all of it was really my ideas during the meetings and, and putting that whole thing together in the directions we should be go, what we should be selling. Um, we had some pitches lined up with some NBA teams. We were in the room. Um, absolutely should have went and approached them the way that I said powers that be decided to approach a different way and at the end of the day um you know without even so much as a word or reaching out to me decided to push me out of the project and try to move forward without me because i mean bottom line is the bottom line they went in there and they blew the pitch and when i say they i'm oh, i'm talking about one person the person who was running the whole thing decided to do it a different way without even consulting me and to do their own thing. And I didn't even find out about it till the next day. And none of the plan that we had put together was used or executed at all. Uh, we were supposed to be doing it later. We were supposed to be putting this little short five to 10 minute video promo together to show them exactly what we were going to be selling and doing for them, which is exactly what they told us they wanted to see. I had the whole thing lined up how we would do it film it, put it together quickly. We could show it to them. 
And I'm not going to get into the depth of the ideas and everything that we were going to be doing with that pitch because, again, um, that may come around to have to be settled on. But there was a decision made somewhere along the line to just jump in and just go in there and do exactly what those teams said they didn't want. They didn't want us to come in the room and say, hey, here's the thing. We're thinking maybe we can do this and maybe we can do that. They had already reached back out to us and said, don't don't tell us what you're going to do. Show us what you're going to do. Don't tell me about a concept. Show me the concept. You got 10 minutes. Show me a 10 minute thing and that's it. Well, you know, the person in charge decided they were going to try to talk their way through it instead of giving them what they wanted, which I was prepared to put together and had laid out a very good plan for. Um, but long story short, blew it, blew the pitch. And I can only speculate that, um, you know, I was pushed out the back door because this person didn't want that story getting out to the rest of the people in the sports division. I was the only other one that was privy to that knowledge. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, when you're the one in charge, you don't want everybody to know that you blew it. So, you know, without even so much as a warning, overnight I was pushed out and my ideas were taken and they're attempting to be moved forward on as far as I know right now, but we'll see. But anyway, long story short, we will not be moving forward with them and producing the show. Um, as the executive producer of the sport content for Honest Sports Network, um, you know, fly by night I was offered a contract to be a contributor which basically means uh to submit social media videos for them and i got no response on this contract i said hey what is this this is not a contract for my position this is a contract for some of the other people we're trying to bring on and it's a contract at the level of like we're just trying to coach them and get them better like submit videos for us and then you'll be available for jobs and maybe we can put you on a job if we get one. But basically you're just going to be taking shots on goal till you get better and good enough. And when work comes in that we're going to be paid for, maybe you can do some of it. And this was the contract that was sent to me. And, and I responded with, you know, this contract's not for me. Will somebody tell me what's going on? What's happening? When are we launching the network? Uh, are we regrouping now that the NBA thing fell through? What's our move forward here? How are we going to progress? What's our business plan here? I was met with no responses, no responses. And then a uh, very disingenuous email the, the next day stating they were shocked that I hadn't signed my contract by the deadline and that I'm going to be moving on without even letting them know I didn't want to be involved anymore. None of which is true. This is a business tactic where, you know, they sent me a contract that was nothing to do with my job or position. And when I would not sign that contract, they decided that that meant I didn't want to be a part of anything and that I was quitting. Not the case, not what was happening, but that's how they push you out in this business. So that's what went down with that, guys. But we do have the pilot. I am going to show it to you guys because a lot of you have been very supportive and reaching out to me. And when is it? Hey, when's this thing airing? How's it going? When's the show coming out? And being very patient and understanding Hollywood bullshit. And you know what? I'm going to put it up. But just keep in mind that the content that is discussed on there is about two months old. So a lot of it has either come to fruition or been proven right or wrong or whatever. Anyway, going to post it. You guys will be able to see it. And we're going to try to 
continue uh, continue on with that show, put together another couple episodes here maybe, and pitch it to somebody else and see if we can get picked up somewhere else. But anyway, that's in a nutshell what was going on. Again, can't get too much into it because if, you know, things are taken off with my ideas and they do head in a direction and try to use them or whatever, uh, you know, we're going to have some issues. We're going to have some legal issues there. Anyway, feel free, guys, to, if you signed up for it, go back on the network there and unsubscribe or whatever because DWMOD and Mikey Wilson are not going to be on the Honest Network, which we came to find out is really not the Honest Network. But anyway, moving on, guys. Hey, let's get into it, man. It is time for some of my favorite stuff with some quick hits. Congratulations to the Vegas Knights for being Stanley Cup champions, man. A franchise team that went to the Stanley Cup in their first year a few years back. Now they're back in the finals against a Red Hot Panthers team that stormed their way from the eighth seed all the way to the Stanley Cup finals. But the Knights put it to them. I mean, they blasted them in every game. Florida won one game in overtime. And, you know, the Vegas wins the, the Stanley Cup 9-3 to three in Game 5. And congratulations to Mark Stone, man. The only captain the team has ever known. Scores the first goal of the game. Gets them rolling. And just a big congratulations to the Vegas Knights for winning the Stanley Cup, man. That was fun. <laughs> In a move that is becoming all too common in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins was flat out released by the Arizona Cardinals. They couldn't find a team to trade with him because this is the new uh, move in the NFL, man. Like, why am I going to give anything up when I know you got to cut the guy and then I can try and go and sign him? Uh, I mean, I don't know, but this seems to be the, the MO and it's happening more and more often. But anyway, DeAndre Hopkins is on the market and no Lion fans. I don't think he should come to Detroit. I think we're fine in the wide receiver room. I think Amon Ross St. Brown being the biggest man in the room there is good for us. Him and Goff work well together. We don't need to mess with that at all. Good luck, DeAndre, somewhere else. And that somewhere else may be New England. That, sound, that sounds pretty weird to everybody, right? I mean, you remember what this guy and Bill O'Brien were at each other's throats in Houston. I mean, that's why Hop wanted out, right? I mean, all in all, at the end of the day, one of the main reasons that, that O'Brien wound up being pushed out in Houston. I mean, pushed out, fired, whatever you want to call it. Fired. But you know what I mean? Uh, these two, not really great friends. And Hopkins is up there this week talking with the Patriots. So... Uh, one more time, this shows to everybody that money talks, man. Money talks. These guys will be celebrating Christmas together and buying their kids and, and nephews and stuff presents because they'll they'll get together and shake hands over a giant contract and some offense that could be produced for Bill O'Brien, I guess. A huge congratulations are in order for the city of Denver. I mean, after last year and the hopes of being Super Bowl contenders with Russell Wilson coming into town, let's roll in the Humvee and the whole shot. A uh, bitter disappointment as the Broncos were one of the worst teams in the league and Denver was bumming. And now, something they thought they'd probably never see, the Denver Nuggets are the NBA champs and uh, in astounding fashion. I mean, it wasn't like this was some kind of uh, Cinderella run. They dominated. I mean, they dominated all season. They dominated in the playoffs, and they absolutely dominated the Miami Heat. I mean, kudos to the Miami Heat. Uh, wow, what a playoff run by them and playoff Jimmy. What a great organization. Uh, great job getting there. But Denver was too much, and Nikola Jokic was just – the Joker was – I mean, this guy <laughs> – 
listen, he's doing things we've never seen done. And he makes it look so effortless that that's why the league is struggling to try to figure out how to make him the face of the league. They, they wouldn't even give him the MVP award again this year because, you know, people are like, well, it's kind of boring. It is not boring if you know what you're watching. You're a moron. I think there's some truth to the fact that they're trapped in that mountain time zone where, you know, you're catching the East Coast game or the West Coast game and that middle one kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. And yes, people who are the casual fan or, you know, think they're super fans but don't really understand the game, um, they can find his style of play a little methodic. It's not, you know, it's not Ja going to the rim and dunking over everybody. And Jokic is not, you know, all over Instagram with pistols and all kind of attention in other ways. He's a guy that goes about his business and just dominates the game, man. Congratulations to him. He's phenomenal. Uh, he's absolutely something we haven't seen in the game before. He's exciting to watch, and I can't I can't wait to see what's going to happen next season and if this guy can keep this thing going and get even better at it, man. But congratulations, Denver Nuggets. That was a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to watch a team do it through the draft. They didn't go out and make a bunch of moves and get the mega stars and crack the super team. and the, They did it the right way, and it was fun to watch, and it's that much sweeter. It is that much sweeter when a team wins a championship like that. Let me tell you, as a Piston fan, let me tell you, it just is. And on that note, while we're on the NBA, let's take this opportunity to segue into my favorite segment, knock it off. All right, everyone, time to do me a favor and knock it off. Everybody pushing this narrative that James Harden got Doc Rivers fired. Stop. Just knock it off with that, okay? Doc Rivers got Doc Rivers fired. Doc Rivers got fired because he's probably the worst playoff coach in the history of the league, and he's been handed some really good teams. And I, I, you know, I don't need to say handed. I mean, he's been involved in putting together and coaching some really talent-loaded teams, and this guy can never get out of the second round. So, listen, James Harden didn't get anybody fired. He didn't play all that great. He, had, he has moments during the play. Playoffs. He had some big games for the Sixers, and he had some games where he didn't show up as well. But he's older James Harden. He is what he is. He's about the player that they went out and got. Played above that in some of the playoffs this year. He played better than what we expected out of James Harden. So just knock it off with he got Doc fired. Doc got Doc fired. All right, everyone. Time to do me a favor and knock it off. I'm sure you all saw the video from the NBA Finals where Conor McGregor uh, has a little make-and-play boxing match with the Miami Heat's mascot at center court. Uh, you can hear the announcer like, oh, Conor McGregor, oh, they're going to fight, whatever he's saying. The whole thing's planned. The whole thing was set up. The whole thing was staged to go down like that. And then this guy, uh, if you want to use the term, gets smart in the mask and goes down hard and goes to the hospital after and, and – I mean, please, man, please. And I got to listen to the knuckleheads on the 24-hour news network that is the mothership going on and on about how, oh, look, at he drilled him. He just he hammered him. Watch how hard he goes down. And then they, they keep pushing the narrative that this guy had to go to the emergency room. 
He didn't have to go to the emergency room. This guy went to the emergency room and got sent home with a couple of ibuprofens. Okay. This guy got smartened up by somebody to go ahead and let Connor punch him and then go down and try to sue him. This is one of the most ridiculous. Oh my God. This stuff frustrates me to no end. You can't even do something fun like that at halftime of the NBA finals because some asshole is going to try to sue somebody. He's wearing, I don't know. How much cushion do you think is in the helmet headpiece of that mascot's costume? I mean, it had to be in the equivalent of getting hit in the face with a Kleenex box, maybe. I don't. Ridiculous. Just knock it off. It's people like this asshole why we can't have fun things. All right, everyone. Time to do me a favor and knock it off. Now, I saw a meme this week online uh, that was... Uh, you know, it's marketing itself as being a quote from Mark McGuire. Now, full disclosure, I don't know if Mark McGuire said this or not. I tried to run it down and find out and see, but I couldn't get a, a definitive answer either way if he did say this or not. So I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt of saying, I'm not sure he said this or somebody put it together. Anyway, this quote from Mark McGuire says, uh, and it's about steroid use in baseball uh, during, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. And his quote is, every single player was doing it. If you were marketable, had a pretty swing, and wore your hat backwards, well, then they just threw your tests away. Now, that's clearly in reference of Ken Griffey Jr., who was never mixed up in any of that. He was never a player that it was suggested was involved in that kind of thing, never looked like or had the build that he was involved in that type of thing. Um, So if Mark did say that, Taking that shot at Griffey is, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Does anybody remember Mark McGuire ever uh, failing any steroid tests? I don't. He never tested positive, so we know he was doing it. I mean, we know he was doing it. So were they throwing his tests out too? I mean, why is he taking a shot at Griffey uh, about the league protecting him? I mean, the league made him and Sammy Sosa the poster boys to try to save baseball. They knew both those guys were roided out of their minds. I mean, they protected McGuire all the way until he had to sit in front of Congress, and he sat in front of them and didn't say anything either, and he's kept his mouth shut about it the whole time, never had a a positive test, and he most times doesn't really get lumped in with these other guys like Bonds and and Clemens and stuff. We know he's lumped in with them, Uh, but when when you talk about these other guys, you don't normally... You don't normally get on McGuire about it because he just was smart, kept his mouth shut, stayed under the radar, and didn't feel the need to discuss it, deny it. He knew he was doing it. We knew he was doing it. And I don't know, man. To take this shot at Griffey like that just doesn't make sense because baseball protected you too, Mark. (laughs) Knock it off. All right, everyone. Time to do me a favor and knock it off. And on that note, I'd like to take opportunity here to talk a little bit about baseball, man. Um, I'm in this group online. Uh, it's called Vintage Baseball. A lot of great guys in this group. A lot of good chats go on in this group all the time. And there's some good dudes in this group. There's a lot of guys in this group that are former players from that era. And there's a lot more guys that aren't former ball players. But, they, you know, a lot of the discussions revolve around 70s, but mainly 80s, 90s, early 2000s baseball. And recently I was in a discussion with some guys on there. And again, 
a lot of great guys in there. The conversations are always good. Nobody's coming at people like you're an idiot. You're a moron. Nobody does that kind of stuff. They're all respectful arguments, respectful disagreements. You know, people have uh, different concepts on there of who they think should be in the Hall of Fame. And there's some open discussions. And like I said, it's usually it's usually really, really good. Now, recently, I was having a discussion with some guys that brings me back to a point I make on this show all the time about how analytics has ruined baseball and has ruined the way that we view baseball somebody posted Bobby Abreu stats and they posted Tony Gwynn stats and there was this open discussion about who you'd rather have on your team if you were putting a lineup together and I don't know like my mouth just dropped I'm like are we really having a conversation about possibly taking Bobby Abreu in your lineup over Tony Gwynn and there was some serious discussion on here that people are like give me the guy that hits for power I, they don't, I don't care about Tony Gwynn's average. I don't care about the fact that he would only strike out 21 times a year. This dude would like average 20 strikeouts in a season. He only struck out 434 times in his career. And I just kept getting the fact thrown in my face that Bobby Abreu's got better on base percentage, better OPS, hits the ball for power more, walks more. Give me the guy that gets on base and hits for power. And guys, we're literally, we're talking about one hundredth of a percent and on base percentage. Now, just to put this into perspective a little bit, these guys played just about the same amount of years, right? Um, Abreu, 2,470 hits. Didn't get to 2,500 hits. 2,470 hits. Uh, of, of course, Tony Gwynn, 3,141 hits. He's 3,000 hit club. Um, as far as the guy that hits for power and drives the ball, uh, doubles, Abreu, 578 doubles, and Gwynn, 543 doubles. So, I mean, doubles pretty close to the same. Here's a, here's the difference in home runs. I mean, Abreu hit 288 home runs, Gwynn hit 135. Now, we're not talking about a guy that hit 400 home runs. This guy didn't even hit 300 home runs. And we're ready to take him over Tony Gwynn because Tony Gwynn only hit 135 home runs. He can't hit home runs, and he doesn't take walks. I don't want him on my team. Analytics is ruining baseball. You need to hit a home run or take a walk. At which leads to a ton of strikeouts. And that's where we're going to get in a few minutes here running down this list. RBIs, relatively close. Stolen bases, relatively close. Uh, okay, walks. Abreu took 1,476 walks. Tony Gwynn took 790. I mean, that's a big difference in walks there. But again, Tony Gwynn, one of the best pure hitters of a generation. He ended up there looking to get walked. He's a leadoff hitter that gets on base. I mean, his lifetime batting average is 50 points higher. Guys, 50 points higher. Abreu hit 290. Tony Gwynn hit 340. And you want to take Abreu because he hit 100 more home runs over his career and, and he gets on base more? Give me the guy that gets on base. Guys, they're on base percentage. Abreu's on base percentage, 395. Tony Gwynn's 388. We're talking about less than a hundredth of a percent. And because of analytics, we're going, give me the guy that hits 50 points less because he might hit the occasional home run and he gets on base less than one hundredth of a percentile more often because of his walks. The guy's analytics is ruining the way we look at baseball. We, we honestly have people who are looking at Bobby Abreu as a more valuable hitter than Tony Gwynn. And that's absurd. I mean, that's absurd. 
all due respect to everybody in the conversation, uh, but it is absurd to even have that conversation. Tony Gwynn over Abreu all day long. It's not even close, guys. Bobby Abreu struck out 1,840 times in his career. Tony Gwynn struck out 434 times, guys. I mean, he's just the better value, if you want to use that word, value at the plate. He's the better value all day. If you listen to the show, you know I love Tony Gwynn facts. He's the greatest pure hitter that ever played the game. I love Tony Gwynn facts. Here's a quick Tony Gwynn fact for you. John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, and Pedro Martinez has struck out over 12,000 hitters combined. Okay? Combined. They faced Tony Gwynn a total of 330 times between the four of them. They struck him out three times, guys. Three times. We're done talking. But again, a lot of love, a lot of respect to all the guys in the Vintage Baseball Group, man. Um, you guys are awesome. I thoroughly enjoy the conversations. I enjoy the respect everybody has for each other in there. It is a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to more of it. Now, before we get out of here, guys, we got to get into discussing the biggest news in sports in the last week, uh, and that's the PGA and Live merger. Now, if you listen to the show, we did a segment on this uh, when Live Golf first came out, uh, and you know we were pretty clear on what we thought at the time. Uh, we were on the record as saying, this is bad. This is bad with who's involved. When the Saudis are involved, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is the most lucrative investment fund in the world, uh, valued at almost a trillion dollars, was involved. We said it right on the show. This is not good, and this will probably only end with them outspending the PGA and swallowing them up. And that's exactly what's happened. Let's not mince words. Let's not pretend they're merging or whatever. Uh, the Saudi Wealth Fund, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, has purchased the PGA. That is what's happened. Now, they're calling it a merger, and let's get into it. Just to recap, I'm sure everybody knows what's been going on, but if you don't know what's been going on, uh, Live Golf, Greg Norman, he got the backing from the Sovereign Wealth Fund, Saudis. They started this rival golf tour that was going to be less golf for the guys, guaranteed money, all these things to entice these golfers to go over there and play, and still a lot of them wouldn't go. Uh, there was, and, and admittedly, admittedly live golf at the heat of this thing was letting everyone know that they were there was no revenue being made they were not making money they were hemorrhaging money because they kept shelling out upwards of 100 to 200 million dollars to steal away some of the best golfers from the PGA tour and get them to go over to live golf and golf there exclusively and then the lawsuits started to fly when the PGA started to get tough on these guys and tell them, well, you're not, you're not having your cake and eat it too. You're not taking the money from them and go play over there. And it's in the bylaws for the PGA. You will not play in competitive tournaments outside the PGA you know, against our competitors. We have sponsors in place, and you, you're not going to be able to do those things. And those guys knew it. But they took them on, antitrust laws, all these things. You know, guys, you're up on all this, right? It started to get pretty ugly between both sides. And the guys that did leave were being shunned and being hammered by the PGA really hard. 
guys like uh, Roy McElroy, Tiger Woods. I mean, these guys that are the faces of golf were coming out hard against these guys and against Live Golf. And the whole thing was on the basis of, guys, this is sports washing. This is blood money. You're going to take the money from these guys. You're going to let these guys come in and take over our sport. And, and, you know, that's what these guys were saying. And the PGA was really harsh. And the main guy, Monaghan, was bashing hard. And they came after these guys. And it was all bullshit. And I'm telling you right now, Monaghan and the top brass at the PGA Tour knew they were putting on a show. They knew they were putting on a show because – as soon as the federal antitrust inquiry started, it started to get real uncomfortable for the PGA Tour because, you know, a lot of people didn't know this, including myself, but it was made public. Well, it was already public. You could have found it out. But did you know that the PGA was a nonprofit? Did you guys know that the PGA Tour was a nonprofit organization that was tax exempt? The PGA Tour is a nonprofit organization that is tax exempt. I had to say it several times just to drive that home. So it started getting really uncomfortable during these inquiries because in order to compete with Live Golf, the PGA was bumping up purses by tens of millions of dollars. And the questions started to fly during these inquiries as to how a tax exempt nonprofit could start bumping up purses by tens of millions of dollars to the tunes of $100 million, $200 million by the end of the season. And where was this money coming from? And on top of that, they're in the midst of a lawsuit that was estimated to be costing them $40 million a year in legal fees. Uh, That's a loan with the live suits. And the question started being raised, where's all this money coming from? And then the investigation started to delve into... How lubed up the PGA Tour must be from powerful golf funds like the Augusta National. And eh, things started to get a little ugly when the books had to start being opened up into your nonprofit tax exempt organization. But none of this was a surprise to the PGA powers that be, guys. And the reality of it, which we pointed out on the show, was this number one, The PGA TV contracts were already in place and they weren't going to be renewed or revisited anytime soon to try to bring in more money. They weren't. Number two, 40 million plus in annual legal fees that were only going to go up and estimations were showing at the time that looked like they could increase and stretch into 2026 or beyond with these lawsuits. Okay. They're hemorrhaging money on the lawsuits. They have to bump up the purses to try to compete with live. They don't have this money. Number three, the sum total of those two things is unsustainable in the near future, let alone the long future. And number four, your competitor is admittedly making zero dollars. And basically, not basically, they were paying stations to televise their events. They were paying to have their events on TV and still, still could quadruply outspend you. Okay. They were, they were handing out hundred million dollar contracts at the time they're paying networks to put their game on TV. Money was not an issue for them. Now it shouldn't be any shock to anybody that Monaghan was told last June, a year ago, last June, He was told by the powers that be and the PGA board, quote, if this is an arms race and the only viable weapons are dollar bills, then the PGA cannot compete any longer. He was told that over a year ago. 
And this dude just continued with his dog and pony show, misleading PGA golfers and sponsors who were loyal and turning down millions of dollars to do so. I mean, imagine being some of these guys that turned down these contracts. They turned down these contracts to stay loyal to the PGA and not lose their standing with the PGA because they were being told, we're going to fight this, we're going to beat live, we're going to shut them down. You better not jump ship. I mean, they were basically being threatened with being blackballed from golf, and when this thing is over, the PGA will rise to the top and you guys will not be welcome back. Imagine being those guys that turned down all this money and now you're golfing alongside the guys that took the money and they're back. And their guys own the place. Monahan and the boys were already on something they were calling Project Wedge, which was they had started talks with Live Golf to try and merge. And that's what the term they're using, merge. They were trying to find a way to stay alive and let Live by them. They knew it was all a dog and pony show just to try and gain some leverage in the eventual merger. I mean, sale of the PGA. And here's how it went down. Here's how Project Wedge went into effect over a year ago while they were still banging on the table and letting everyone know they're fighting live golf. They weren't. The writing was on the wall, man, but nobody was paying attention. When James Jimmy Dunn joined the PGA board during this process, man. Now, this dude is known for making deals happen, okay? The flags were up, and he started the conversations with the Saudis. Now, if you don't know who Jimmy Dunn is, this is the guy who's known for getting deals done and making mergers. He is the guy for major acquisitions and mergers. Now, it's pretty easy to put two and two together at this time as the chairman of the PGA board at this time is Edward Hurley. Now he's one of the world's top lawyers and counselors for mergers and acquisitions, right? I mean, doesn't every major sports boardroom have a chairperson that specializes in these things? No, they don't because they're usually not looking to be acquired or merged with another league. So Project Wedge starts as Jimmy Dunn starts to have some secret meetings in West London with the Sovereign Investment Group headed by one of the world's most powerful, richest men, Mr. Al-Ramayan. Now, he is the head of the Sovereign Wealth Group. This is the guy they need to deal with. And they're meeting with him in secret in West London. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis, the PGA continues to assure its players and fans that they will continue to fight the good fight against sports washing and blood money. My ass. Now, by this point, the initial schmoozing in West London is done, and they're actually starting to sit down and see how this thing could work, okay? So now they're in what you would call negotiations. Now, sidebar right here really quick. A note that you should know about these negotiations. No one else from the PGA board is allowed to be part of them. No one else is allowed to be at these meetings or hear anything that's being said at these meetings. Just Mr. Jimmy Dunn, the newest member of the board, and Ed Hurley, the chair, a.k.a. Mr. Merger, are allowed, okay? And obviously, the head of the Sovereign Fund. These three guys are the only ones allowed in the room. None of this is normal. Now, there's one board member that's been extremely vocal against Liv, extremely vocal against the guys that left to go play for Liv, has been extremely loyal to the PGA Tour and to Monaghan and has had his back at every press conference. And that guy that's a member of the board is Rory McIlroy. Yeah, 
one of the world's best golfers, has no idea what's even happening behind his own back right now. And Monaghan can't get near these meetings because it will tip his hand and everyone will know what's going on. So he's got to just keep banging the drum and banging the table and putting on the dog and pony show back in the States while they're over there settling this thing up. Now, while these secret meetings are happening, I think it's important to note this fact. Mr. Jimmy Dunn lost more than a third of his investment bank employees on 9-11 as they were headquartered at the towers and they all died in the attacks. He himself was luckily out golfing that morning, was not in the building, okay? He is now sitting in a room with basically the highest-ranking officials from the country that everyone knows is responsible for that attack. And he's trying to sell them the PGA Tour for money he doesn't even need. This is not sitting well with a lot of people who are involved with that investment bank. By the time the three of these guys are done setting up the deal, the table is all set a year later, come June, just this month, for Monaghan to sit down and close the deal with Al Ramayan. So the very guy that, that's running around all these tournaments in North America and all over the world, bashing on Live Golf and, and claiming blood money, playing, uh, tugging at American heartstrings about 9-11 and Saudi money and the human rights violations and how gross it is these guys are going to go take their money. At the same time, he's secretly running around meeting with the guy to try to let him buy the damn league. It's reported that on May 30th, in the early hours of the morning, they finally came to a deal after negotiating all day long, and about 12 people celebrated this deal that no one else was allowed to be a part of, know about, have discussions on. They closed this thing behind closed doors. They all toasted and celebrated with each other, and then Monaghan jumped on a plane to go and oversee a, a PGA tournament happening in Ohio. And the tournament was being hosted by Jack Nicholas, who had turned down over a hundred million so dollars from live golf himself. This hypocrite closed the deal toasted and then showed up to Jack Nicholas's tournament. Still no one knows what's happening. There is so much about this deal. We don't know, but here's what we do know. It's being sold to us as a merger of three entities, the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and a new company called Nuco, as in new company. Now, Nuco will be the oversight for all three companies. The new company will be funded by all the Saudi cash, and it did not limit them to a specific investment amount and promised them an exclusive right to inject as much cash as they wanted into the new company. The PGA Tour will get Monaghan as the company's chief executive officer and a majority of board seats, including one filled by Hurley, one filled by Jimmy Dunn, and Al Ramanyan, well, he doesn't get a board seat. He's chairman of the board. And that right there, everybody, is how the PGA Tour was sold to a Saudi Arabian investment company called the Sovereign Wealth Fund and is now owned and ran by the powers that be that started up Live Golf. And the worst part about it, it was done right behind everybody's backs under the guise that they were fighting against it. Nobody knew. I mean, golfers were tweeting out the morning that this was announced 
as Monahan sat next to Al Ramayan at a little press conference and announced it. And guys like Roy McElroy and other golfers were tweeting out, well, great to find out about this on the news right now. These guys were furious. I mean, uh, investors in the PGA Tour, sponsors, golfers, nobody had any idea they were doing this, and they just pulled the rug right out overnight. Uh, I mean, I don't know that I've been privy to anything more gross or disgusting or, I don't know, fraudulent in professional sports in my life. And this is one of those odd times when you're not happy about being right. When we said on the show, I don't know, two years ago, that they just have too much money and they're going to take over the PGA. And now they've done it. And I'm sad about it. But what are we going to do, man? What are you going to do? We're going to still watch golf. We're going to still watch the Masters and just understand that all this revenue and all this money and it is now owned by Saudi Arabia, man. That's tough. It's tough to swallow, man, but that's the world we live in. So, ugh, hate to end it on a somber note like that, but guys, it's good to be back at the microphone and talking to you. It's good to be able to have a conversation where you can disagree with me or don't, but I'm pretty sure we all agree. We're all pretty disappointed with this outcome for the PGA Tour. So, hey, tune in, guys, to All Right Bet. That episode's also up with myself and Andy St. Clair talking about some bets. We're talking a little bit of AFC futures for division winners as we're heading into the NFL. Offseason's hot and heavy and OTAs that are coming up. Uh, we're talking a little bit of golf, U.S. Open. We're talking to golf. I mean, what are you going to do? We're, trying, we're betting on guys. We're seeing who's going to win the tournaments. It is what it is now, man. Talking a little Major League Baseball. So, tune in over there and check that out. And... We'll see you next time.